Memory is a wonderful thing, but sometimes our memories can be too good. I guess we might have total recall of some of the tragedies and problems and difficulties we face. Perhaps many of us have a memory that does remember those negatives and maybe doesn't emphasize enough the positives. When you look at Paul in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17, please get this. As he thinks about his life, what immediately comes to mind is God's grace and mercy. When you and I think about our life, is that what comes to the forefront? Grace and mercy. Think about your life. Think about a wedding date. Think about children being born. Think about anniversaries. Think about special times in your life. And I would suspect that you can recall things very well and very vividly because those occasions have meant so much to you. That's understandable, isn't it? When Paul thought about his life, he immediately thought about the grace and mercy of the Lord. I think it would be awesome if that was the first thing that came to any of our minds, too. While we'll think about wedding days and anniversaries and birthdays and special occasions that we've enjoyed through life, how great it is to think about the grace and mercy of God. And the more we think about God's grace and mercy, the more we will respond with gratitude and praise. So right here is the Christianity principle for this morning's sermon. The more we think about God's grace and mercy, the more we will respond with gratitude and praise to Him. Let's look at 1 Timothy. But before we do, think about Paul and who he was and where he'd been in his life. Here is a person who is saying, Galatians 2.20, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Here is an individual that knew his past. And yet, as he recognized with vivid memory the past, he was thankful for God's grace and mercy. And that led him to be thankful and to praise. I think that that's a real formula for a relationship with God. Six considerations about grace and mercy. But let me talk about grace and mercy each individually. We understand that Christians are people who have been saved by grace. Acts 15 and verse 11. 
that grace is unmerited and undeserved to people who are ill-deserving because of sin. Paul would write us, by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. We are justified freely by God's grace. Romans 3, verses 24 and 25. So grace is given to someone who doesn't deserve it, who can't merit it, Mercy is given to someone who is in a sorry predicament, we would say. Mercy is given to someone who is in a miserable position. Grace is given to those who are undeserving because we're guilty of sin. Mercy is given to us because our state, our condition... It's pathetic. It's pitiful. And God is moved by that and sent Jesus. The connection with everything that Lynn said in the Lord's Supper meditation this morning to 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17 shouldn't be missed. It shouldn't be overlooked. Having looked a little bit at those two terms, grace and mercy... Look now at verse 12 of 1 Timothy 1. Six considerations concerning total recall as it involves God's grace and mercy. Consider the source of grace and mercy. Consider the source. Sometimes we'll use that expression, just got to consider the source. Consider the source of this information or this story or this tale. Paul wants all of us to consider the source of grace and mercy. And the passage begins, I thank God, in the original language, it's given special emphasis. Grateful am I for Christ Jesus our Lord. Grateful am I for Christ Jesus our Lord. The who he is grateful for. Christ Jesus our Lord. The Messiah, the King, the Savior, the Lord. Christ Jesus our Lord. I am profoundly grateful for Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul is saying. It's not something that ever ceases, that ever ends. He is completely in awe and amazed of what God has done in Jesus for him. But notice verse 12 mentions three blessings. Three blessings. I am grateful to Christ Jesus our Lord... Because he has strengthened me. Don't you imagine that there are times that we should just be thankful for God and his grace and strength too? Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Ephesians 6.10 
Be strong in the grace that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 1. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 Paul is thinking about the source of grace and mercy in his life. And he just can't get over it. He wants Timothy to realize that the same person, the same God that has helped me throughout my ministry and throughout my life will help you too. And I think there's something wondrous about that assurance. The God who cared for Paul and gave him grace and mercy gives the children of God grace and mercy today too. Here's the second blessing he emphasizes. He considered me faithful, and I love the statement. Here is Paul, who had been Saul of Tarsus, the Pharisee. Remember that? He is a guy who thinks he's doing the Lord's work when he persecutes the church and kills Christians and imprisons them. He considered me faithful. He saw in me something that I never even knew at the time was in me. He considered me faithful and trustworthy. He saw in me what I had not even seen in myself. Third, he appointed me to service. It's true that we, like Paul, are not apostles. And surely he has his apostleship in view, but I think he's speaking more broadly, more generally in this passage, and he appointed me to serve. Every child of God should be so motivated and moved by the grace and mercy of God, they serve. This passage begins in verse 12 with gratitude for God's grace and mercy, it concludes in verse 17 with praise for God due to His grace and mercy. And that pretty well encompasses what every Christian's life should be all about. From Him we have received grace and mercy, and to Him we give gratitude and praise. Fulfill your ministry. 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. Paul fulfilled his. He's encouraging Timothy to fulfill his. And we are to fulfill ours today. The Lord was a servant. Mark 10 45. Jesus was a servant. Paul says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for your sake. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 5. What a beginning to a section about remembering. When I remember what comes to my life and my mind, the mind's a wonderful thing. But Paul says, when I think about my life, the first thing that comes to my mind is the grace and mercy of God. That ought to just touch our hearts. And it ought to be a mindset that we share. 
Secondly, look at verse 13. Formerly, the passage says, and this deals with this consideration. Secondly, consider the need for grace and mercy. Consider the source, but consider the need. Formerly, I was Notice the three expressions. Number one, a blasphemer. His words were words that spoke against God in God's ways. He was a blasphemer. By your words you'll be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. Well, those words of Jesus in Matthew 12, Paul says, if that's the standard, I was lost. I was religious and sincere and yet I was a blasphemer. Secondly, I was a persecutor. In Galatians 1... On two different occasions, verse 13 and verse 23, he talks about persecuting the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, I persecuted the church of God. Not only did his misbehavior, his conduct, his way of life show itself in blasphemous words, but in persecuting the very people of God. Action! He went beyond mere words. You know, a lot of people are big talkers, but not really good actors. Well, Paul acted on his words and his conviction. You ever stop to think about who was Paul's teacher in Phariseeism? Gamaliel, remember him? In Acts chapter 5, it is Gamaliel who says... Let's wait a while on persecuting these Christians. After all, if it's not of God, it'll probably come to a natural death. And if it is of God, who are we to fight against God? You know what? Paul, Saul, went against his mentor, his teacher in Phariseeism, Gamaliel here, and was more zealous than Gamaliel because he persecuted the church. And when you look at the conversion of Saul, of Paul, in Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26, all three occasions, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute May Jesus ask. You see, when he persecuted God's people, he was in essence persecuting Jesus. The need for grace and mercy. Look at what I'm doing to the Lord and to his people. I have no idea. But get this. The English standard says, thirdly, that there's this need for grace and mercy because he is an insolent opponent. He's an insolent opponent. The best term I can come up with, Tristan, is sadistic. 
he actually thought he was doing God's will when he was persecuting the church and I did this out of arrogance and insolence and I was sadistic while I was doing it because I thought it was the right thing at the time. That brings me to a third consideration. Look at the end of verse 13. Consider the power of grace and mercy. I received mercy. I am the poster child for being a royal mess up, Paul would say. Not by malice, but because I thought I was doing the right thing. I did what I did ignorantly and in unbelief. I received mercy. I was be-mercied. I was covered by God's mercy somehow in my miserable and pathetic state, unworthy, What I did, I did in ignorance and unbelief. And I want you to know that ignorance and unbelief fuel more ungodly behavior and attitudes than anything this world has ever known. I did it in ignorance. Jesus said, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Matthew 22 and verse 29. He spoke of people who had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Romans 10 verses 1 and 2. And I'm sure he felt the same way about himself in his early days. That's where I was too. I did things ignorantly and in unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 concludes, we see that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief. We were talking about singing to me of heaven. Well, nobody who maintains an unbelieving heart will go to heaven. They were not able to enter in because of unbelief. No wonder why the Bible says grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. Well, we've looked at three. We've considered the source of grace and mercy and the need for grace and mercy. And when I think about who Paul was and what he did, I think that he's wanting all of us to consider our past and where we were and yet what God did for us. So that we will be people of thankfulness and praise. He deals with the power. The power of grace and mercy to deal even with ignorance and unbelief like his. That brings me to a fourth consideration. The measure Consider the measure of grace and mercy. Consider the measure of God's grace and mercy. And notice what he says in verse 14. He says 
the grace of God abounded. In the translation you're reading from, it might say, Brother Steve, the grace of God overflowed. It's kind of like Midland, Texas over the last week or so with all the rain that we've had. Hasn't that been a rich blessing? He says, I obtained mercy and the grace of God overflowed. It superabounded, Romans 5 and verse 20. Toward me. And think of it this way. I try to garden and grow a few tomatoes every year. This has been the year to grow tomatoes for me. The rains have come. The temperatures have been unusually mild. How often do you see below 90 degree temperatures in Midland in July? Amen, everybody. And what Paul is saying is the grace of God was so overflowing and abundant like God's rain and God's sunshine in just the right time. The seed of faith and love in Christ germinated and flowered in my heart and my mind. Oh, what a Savior. Consider the measure of God's grace and mercy, abundant, overflowing, producing faith and love in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 15 and 16. Consider the purpose of God's grace and mercy. And Jared read this as part of our scripture reading. Notice the truthfulness of the statement. Mention first, this is a faithful saying. Notice secondly that it's universal in application. Worthy of all acceptation. Everyone everywhere can apply what I'm about to say. Notice the essence of the statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then notice... The personal application. Of whom I am chief or foremost. Let me look at that a little more thoroughly with you. There are several statements in 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus that, that Paul uses to just really address something crucial, and he says, this is a faithful saying, or this is a trustworthy statement. And we would do something like this. Get this, got it good. Get it, got it good. It's so important that you get this, and that you get it well. This is a faithful statement. Universally applicable. The essence is Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's what Jesus said himself, Luke 19.10. The gospel involves the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. 
Christ came to save sinners. But what I really want to focus on is the last part. Of whom I am chief. You see, the application's personal. Adam, I want you to know, brother, it doesn't say of whom I was chief. Yes, he'd reflected on his former life. But he's referring to the present. As Paul thought about God's grace and mercy, he could not help but think about the fact that he had persecuted not only God's people, but that the Lord had said, you are persecuting me. Now, he did it in ignorance and unbelief. Well, what about people who do it out of knowledge and self-will and arrogance? They need to see God's grace and mercy too, don't they? This is not any kind of fake humility. Elsewhere, he would say, I am less than the least of all the apostles. I am the most leastest. How's that for something ungrammatical? But that's pretty much what he's saying. Ephesians 3.8 I am the chief of sinners. I think about the fact that I was a blasphemer and I was a persecutor and I was an insolent opponent of God's people and of God himself. That pretty much makes me number one. And it's interesting to note foremost or chief when it is found elsewhere in first and second timothy and titus it normally has to do brother rich with chronology he's not saying he was the first sinner but he was saying in my heart of hearts i really think that i have been saved from so much i can say i was the worst of the worst look at where i was now what happens nowadays is a lot of people say oh paul that's not a very good self-image You shouldn't think of yourself that way. Well, I want you to know, my friend and my brother or sister, that the more you think about God's grace and God's mercy, the more you will become aware of how unworthy and undeserving we are of it. And yet he gives it so freely. And not only that, but look at verse 16. 1 Timothy 1, as it continues dealing with this purpose, that in me the patience of God might be demonstrated to everybody. If God could forgive me, Paul is writing, he can forgive anyone. Somebody that helped kill Stephen, somebody that imprisoned Christians, Someone that thought that they were doing the right thing to zealously persecute and seek to destroy the church for which Jesus shed his blood. He says, I am a picture of what God's grace and mercy were intended to do. And how patient he's been. This particular word for patience is the word for patience with people. 
Brother Bill, King James fellow that you are, long-suffering is typically the way that the King James brings this out, brother. With all long-suffering and doctrine, preach the word, patience with people. 2 Timothy 4.2 You have beheld my patience in ministry. He would write to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But ultimately, all it was, was he was looking at his own life. And God demonstrates his patience by extending his grace and mercy to even me. Now look at verse 17. This was so people could, earn, could see eternal life, could know eternal life. But in verse 17, here's the final consideration. Consider this. Consider the response to grace and mercy. Praise. Notice what he says. Now unto the king eternal. Time's no issue with God. He's eternal. Immortal. Death is no issue for God. Invisible. The limits of human observation are not applicable to Him. The only God, no rivals. He has no rivals. There's a lot of pretenders, but the Lord has no real rivals. And then the text says, Be glory and honor We, you and I, cannot praise God enough for His grace and mercy. We can't thank Him enough. It's true we assemble to thank God and to convey gratitude and to express praise, but how can we ever thank God or express enough praise to Him for what He has done in Christ? I suspect only when we are together in eternity will we begin to give Him half of what He richly deserves. In terms of gratitude and praise. You ever sat through a service sometimes? I'm a preacher. Maybe you've thought this while I've been preaching. But I think this. This is how we are going to express our thanks and praise to God. This is how we're going to do it. For times when you might have been disappointed when your mind and your heart have wandered from giving God gratitude and praise... Please know, my friend, that the time comes when we will begin to give God at least half of what he richly deserves by way of his gratitude, gratitude and praise for his mercy, for his grace. Until then, we can be patient with one another. And we ought to be. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Maybe there's someone here today that has 
seen more of God's grace and mercy in their own life. And please think about what I've been saying. How are you going to respond to it? It's sad to me that some people who are Christians have really evidently forgotten about God's grace and mercy. You can see it by the look on their face and by the way they speak and act. Gratitude and praise. I want to be known more for that, don't you? Don't you? Thank you, Terry. And may God be praised. Through faith, repentance, and baptism, one comes to Jesus Christ. If you haven't, please do. And do so now. Because of the Lord's grace and mercy to you. And for those of us who are Christians, let's shine our light. So that people will see our good works and glorify the Father. And be thankful for Jesus. Let us stand and sing.